Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily, and I'm the host. And welcome if you are new to this show. So, before we begin, I want to briefly dive in to my career ebook guide since I've been getting a lot of DMs and questions about it. But for those of you who do not know, I recently released a career ebook or career focused ebook on my blog at emilyelizabeth.blog. And the ebook is called The Everyday Girl's Guide to Career Success. And in this ebook, I provide custom resume templates, custom cover letters, um, the top 20 interview behavioral questions, like literally from top to bottom on the whole career slash interview process and just kind of, you know, understanding where you want to get into it. And I really put this together to help fellow young females or males if they're interested get a better idea of kind of the direction they want to go in for their career so this is really good if you are currently in college or maybe recently graduated and just need a starting point because I know how difficult that point is and can be for many of my own friends and colleagues and peers so I put this together just to um, you know take from my personal experience seeing how the process was really good for me when I was searching for a job and how I landed my five job offers from different Fortune 500 companies and so overall this book is just to help guide you in understanding your mindset about it how to do the interviews, you know, the whole process, etc. You can find more info on my blog at emilyelizabeth.blog. Okay, so for today's guest, I have Brie Byler, and she's actually a very dear friend to me. We met in 2015 when we both just graduated from high school, and we met actually at Abercrombie & Fitch, where we were both working for our summer jobs. And I remember a coworker actually told me, hey, Bree is actually going to school in Pepperdine or in California as well. And it was such a unique experience just being able to become friends with her and to see her progress through her journey in Southern California, not only at Pepperdine, but just her career and just what she's been doing as well, which you'll learn a lot about on this episode. But something I love about Brie is she's one of my most unique friends. And I'm certainly not just saying that. She really is. And I look up to her so much. And I talk about her to my parents so frequently as well because not only do I just admire the way she speaks so eloquently and in such an intelligent way, but I just think her way of thinking and her uh, pursuit in her career that is also in such a different scope of work than mine is so unique for me, especially in a standpoint of learning. And I don't have any friend that is actually doing anything remotely similar to her. So I think that's what's really cool about her is that to be transparent, I am not knowledgeable in the things that she's pursuing, um, especially working in international development and global affairs and things like that. And 
I just find it fascinating with what she's doing because she really is such a well-rounded, wholesome individual. But not only that, just she's extremely bright. And I think, you know, she's a great person to go to when having a rational conversation about just life and career and just like a philosophy behind the things we do. And so I love having a conversation with Bree. She's just always pushing me to be better. Every time I have a conversation with her, I feel so much better after it. And she just is truly such a supportive person. So on a personal level, this is why I'm so glad to have had her on because I try to incorporate people from different backgrounds and different career uh, paths versus just like that common, um, you know, from, you know, my standpoint, I feel like I often come across more people in entrepreneurial or uh, creative work. And I love to kind of see and help others see the other side or other options that people out there our age are pursuing. So that's a little bit of a personal background and touch on her. But on a more professional level, a little bit about her. She graduated from Pepperdine University with a double major in international studies, political studies, and Hispanic studies. Upon graduation, she was awarded a Fulbright scholarship to teach English in a rural village in South Korea. When the Fulbright program was prematurely suspended nine months later due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Bree was fortunate enough to accept a position with the U.S. Agency for International Development, the federal government agency responsible for administering civilian foreign aid and development assistance and the world's premier international development agency, which acts as a catalytic actor driving development results. Bree works in communications in the U.S. Global Development Lab of the USAID, a bureau which focuses on fostering greater innovation and effectiveness in the U.S. government's administration of global humanitarian aid. Like I said, she's a really unique person, and even if you don't have any interest in going down this kind of path, because it's obviously, again, very unique, and uh, I'd say just a different industry than most of us would uh, consider. I think there's just still so much to learn from her in her philosophy, her mindset, and her overall pursuit in her career. And also especially too, if you guys are interested in studying abroad, if you're still in college and maybe have been on the fence about it or just want to get more insight from someone that has traveled the world in a more uh, academic focused way, we talk about this on today's show and she really just hits the nail on the head and I personally wish I had a chance to study abroad but she's done it all she studied in Argentina for nine months and obviously like I said she was in South Korea as well prior to COVID prematurely suspending it so all in all this is such a great lesson I hope you guys enjoy it and let's dive into it Bree, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I am so, so stoked to chat with you and have the audience hear more about what you have to say. Thank you, Emily. I'm so happy to be here. This is actually my first podcast ever, so I'm quite <laughs> honored and I'm a big fan of both you, Emily, and the podcast, so this is great. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, how about we actually, let's take the audience really quick um, on a backtrack as to how we met. 
How about you yes. share your little story? <laughs> All right. Well, the year was 2015 and Emily and I were both seniors in high school and found ourselves working the very prestigious and selective job of being Abercrombie and Fitch workers. <laughs> so we were both working in retail um, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and we were just chatting before this. Um, I think we both kind of saw in each other that we were really trying to do our best in this job, even though it's kind of funny, we were just, you know, working around clothes all day. But um, <laughs> yeah, we really tried to do a good job. And I think we hit it off. Um, and then we both found ourselves on the West Coast shortly thereafter, um, when I started at Pepperdine and you started at Chapman. Um, mm -hmm. And we were able to meet up a couple times on the West Coast, a couple times on the East Coast when we were both there. And we've just kind of stayed in touch over the years. Um, and Emily someone I super admire. Obviously, any listener of this podcast knows she's extremely ambitious, very driven, very committed. She's always been a super loyal friend and someone that I leave every conversation with feeling very energized and motivated. So anyway, I'm very, very lucky to call her a friend for life. And all <laughs> thanks to you, Abercrombie and Fish. Oh <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> I have to say that was the best, like... I don't know what's the word for it. I want to say takeaway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm so grateful that Abercrombie and that funny summer job just brought yeah. us together and to the West Coast together as well. And obviously here we are five years later chatting on this podcast. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's amazing. But um, how about you share a little bit about yourself and kind of, you know, where you went to school, what do you do today and all the good stuff about you? <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah, Emily and I both grew up in pretty small towns in Pennsylvania. So I was in um, Lancaster County, so rural Pennsylvania. Um, and then I ended up deciding to go to Pepperdine University in in Malibu, California. So very nice location. Um, but the reason I went to Pepperdine, one of the main reasons I chose it was because it has these really amazing international programs. So I was able to, through Pepperdine, spend my entire sophomore year living abroad in Buenos Aires, Argentina, in a homestay, learning Spanish. Um, so that was about nine months my sophomore year. And then I was also able to spend an entire semester of my junior year in Washington, DC, doing an internship. I interned at the U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID, and that's basically our government agency that manages all the foreign aid that the U.S. Um, gives abroad. It's the premier development agency in the world, and we work really closely with the State Department, with DOD, or the Department of Defense, and um, kind of the U.S. government to coordinate that, so that was a really amazing experience. Um, and so I finished my career at Pepperdine, double majored in international studies and Hispanic studies or Spanish, and just had a really awesome time there at Pepperdine. Um, and then I was really lucky my senior year to accept a Fulbright scholarship to go teach English in South Korea. And so July after I graduated, I flew across the world to South Korea and spent some time um, there first just learning about the language and culture and then moving out to again a small rural town in the northern part of South Korea just about 30 kilometers south of the DMZ actually um, where I was an English teacher for grades K through 6 um, and this is a State Department initiative that's what um, Fulbright is that was established um, basically to increase mutual understanding between countries and um, cultivate a sense of cultural awareness, this intercultural exchange, educational exchange, language exchange. And so 
Um, I had a really awesome experience there also living in a homestay and um, got a little bit of time to travel abroad as well. I visited Japan, Australia, Thailand, Vietnam, and then um, came COVID. (laughs) So um, about nine months into my experience that was supposed to be a little over a year, um, coronavirus started spreading and South Korea was one of the first countries to really get hit with it. Um, and to become notable in the news. And so since this was a State Department initiative, um, obviously the Department of State was trying to be cautious and following guidelines from the CDC and the World Health Organization. And so around mid-March, we started to um, receive emails that we had the opportunity to voluntarily evacuate if we wanted to. Um, And so I ultimately, after some consideration, decided to take that offer. And then shortly thereafter, the State Department really um, started urging students to come back and ultimately suspended the program for the year. Um, And so I was really fortunate, though, that right within that time period, a position opened up uh, within USAID where I had interned, again, in person in D.C., but then um, I'd continued to intern virtually for about a year, year and a half after that. Um, So anyway, position opened up in the agency, I applied, I got it, and that just created this wonderful opportunity that I could come back home, Um, and even though my plans had been kind of, you know, ripped apart and (laughs) reoriented, have this wonderful opportunity here, so I've been able to start remote. I've been working for about a month now um, for the U.S. Global Development Lab of USAID, which is a really exciting bureau within the agency that really focuses on bringing innovation, science, technology, partnership, private sector engagement, a lot of these new cross-cutting initiatives into development to make it more efficient and effective and just serve the people that we're seeking to serve better. So really exciting work, um, and I'm really excited to be here. And on that, I did mention to Emily, um, because obviously Fulbright is run through the State Department and because USAID is also a federal agency, I do have to say all of the things I'm going to express today are my own and not on behalf of the federal government. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not that I'm going to say anything too controversial. Um, But yeah, that basically brings us up to speed today. And I'm, yeah, super grateful to be where I am and excited for what's to come especially mm-hmm. once we're able to travel again. <laughs> I know. Oh my goodness. I've always just admired you so much for everything you do and for just how different it is from like the landscape of what I know in career wise. And that's why I'm super stoked to just chat more about it with you. you. And I think something that obviously stands out not only to me, but many people is like, you seem to be very, um, I don't know the term for it, but just very not scared of the unknown, right? Uh-huh. And you're, you know, you're willing to study abroad in Argentina for a year and you, you know, went to South Korea for planned for a year. So what have you learned so far from those experiences? And what would you say um, how those have shaped, you know, your thinking and your philosophy today? Yeah, that's a good question. And thank you. That's very mm-hmm. kind. And I would say, Um, it's not always without fear, but it's kind of in spite of it sometimes that we make these decisions. Um, but I would say, I think I was just fortunate to recognize pretty early on that the things I liked best about myself or the lessons I learned that helped me the most or the values I gained that meant the most to me, um, all tended to come as a result of either pushing myself beyond my limits 
or experiencing suffering and just kind of going through it and feeling the feelings that it brings. Or yeah, going through something difficult or challenging that seems to produce the things in life that I treasure most. And so mm-hmm. um, I really believe in renegotiating your relationship to both uh, risk, suffering, you know, stress, pain, all these things that we want to label as like inherently negative. I think if we can engage with them in a strategic way, um, it brings about a lot of uh, kind of gems to be proud of. And so that was kind of my mentality when going to Argentina. I thought, wow, South America, it's a place I'm not familiar with. It has, you know, a lot of stigma of being dangerous or hard to navigate, which, uh, spoiler alert, it's not really. I mean, it depends where you go, but um, I had a really good experience there. And it was the same with South Korea. I was like, what am I intimidated by? Okay, like areas I have no familiarity with. Um, And I think if you find yourself intimidated by something or, you know, scared of something, often getting closer in proximity to that thing is a good way Mm -hmm. to get rid of that. Um, And most certainly you'll learn something new. So I think um, I'm constantly trying to push myself to explore things that I'm, you know, uneasy about or unsure of and to learn more um, about myself, about the world, um, and just to develop a greater sense of empathy, understanding, and awareness around things that I'm not currently super aware of. So I think, I feel like I kind of got in on a little like life secret early. That's like, (laughs) if you jump, usually you'll be glad you did. So yeah. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) Do you, do you recall having any like uncertainty or fear of maybe like not being around your friends or being around like familiar people? I think Mm. that's probably a common one, you know, for those our age or a little bit younger when it comes to studying abroad or even doing something kind of, um, so far fetched because it's like, sometimes it's not about the place. Sometimes it's just like, I don't have my friends there. So what's your Mm. take on that? Yeah, no, that's really real. And I think, Um, during this time of varying degrees of isolation, it's a good time to reflect on the importance of community and connection. Um, And so I think a couple of things come to mind. Um, The first is kind of this cheesy Pinterest quote that I think I came across in like seventh grade, but I just remember it really resonated and I've always been a collector of quotes. Um, and so it, I think it goes like, she was never alone. She had herself to thank for that. Mm -hmm. And so I've always really liked this idea of cultivating, um, a sense of self and a sense of confidence within yourself to where you can go anywhere in the world and not feel like you're forlorn, like feel like you have a sense of stability. And then a counterpart to that, which I think I'll take the time to share, um, actually a quote that I memorized when I was in Argentina, because I found it coming up so much in conversation. And I'd be like, I read this quote one time that relates to this, but it's by Edith Wharton and it's become, she's an American poet and writer, Um, but it's become one of my favorite quotes and kind of a mantra for me. But she writes, um, I believe I know the only cure, which is to make one center of life inside oneself, not selfishly or excludingly, but with a kind of unassailable serenity to decorate one's inner house so richly that one is content there, glad to welcome anyone who wants to come and stay, but happy all the same when one is inevitably alone. So again, I think that's a little bit more sophisticated version of the other, but 
um, I think that's been something that's definitely held me strong as I've traveled has been this idea of kind of having your own inner best friend and taking on the world with her. And that said, I've also recognized that that can be a fault and we do need other people. And this world is like completely run on relationships and we as humans are wired for connections. So um, I think developing the ability to establish good real, genuine, deep connections wherever I've been has been important and rewarding. Um, but then also continuing to uh, work the muscle of learning how to stay in touch and maintain good connections with people who are soul friends to you is also important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly think it's within the, the scope of anyone's um, capacity to learn how to do that and kind of find that balance between connecting with yourself, connecting with your immediate surroundings, and then connecting with those people that are kind of your like orbs of friendship all around the world. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely recognize that's um, a challenge when you're Mm -hmm. traveling for sure. I think that's something that you and I have done really well. I can, I think maybe in part to like our upbringing and also in a huge part to us kind of both making that 3000 miles away move from yeah. Pennsylvania, <laughs> from a small town to both Malibu and Orange County, California. And so I think we both kind of got accustomed to not really having our normal community like always around us. So I'm sure mm-hmm. that has um, attributed to both of us being able to build that muscle over the years of, you know, really connecting with that inner self and really, Mm. um, you know, not having to feel mentally or physically alone in a sense, um, simply because we don't know anyone yet. It's a matter of just, you know, building that confidence inside. So I really like Mm -hmm. that you mentioned that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You've certainly done an amazing job at that as well. (laughs) Um, I know a lot of people are curious about studying abroad as well. And I will Mm. say, I think that's something I wish I did back in college, um, mm-hmm. but certainly just did not have the time to because I transferred universities. Yes. But um, I do wonder what the experience would have been like. So I guess my question is for you: um, Why do you recommend studying abroad? And you know, you studied for a year or two, whereas most people study for like six months or a semester. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's your recommendation on it? Um, how did you go about it in terms of your desire to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, certainly something I recommend um, to anyone that it's available to. But I also think there are many other ways you can engage with other cultures and other countries. And you've certainly done that just by traveling on your own. And I super recommend that as well. But um, I've always said, I feel like there's this intangible transformation that occurs when you completely take yourself out of a familiar environment and you just drop yourself into a place where suddenly you become the other and um, you don't know all of the correct cultural actions to take and you might make a bunch of faux pas and you might not know the language and it just really puts you in this, um, you know, not to make it sound horrible, but defenseless position where suddenly you're not like the alpha. You have to be a bit uh, subservient and you have to be really observant of what's going on around you if you want to have a nice time or you might, you know, accidentally offend someone or <laughs> get in a dangerous situation. And I just think it's a really good Um, reminder of, first of all, um, how big the world is and how much diversity there is in it. 
Um, but then on the other hand, how interconnected we are. And it's something I've really loved throughout all of my travels is that I feel like every country I've visited and I've spent time in Europe, in Asia and South America, not in Africa yet. Um, <laughs> we'll see, <laughs> but, or, or in the Middle East. But anyway, I feel like I've been around enough to validate this as true, but I found that no matter where you go in the world, um, people kind of want the same things. Like they want to be safe and secure. They often want to protect themselves and their family. They want to be happy. They want their needs provided for. And so I think it's pretty easy when you look at those common elements of humanity to establish these connections with new people. Um, and something I also pretty strongly believe without trying to homogenize the entire world, because I recognize, again, there's this incredible diversity that I think is such a gift and amazing to explore culture and language and food and dance mm -hmm. and all of that. <laughs> um, but that said, I really think that we are all a lot more similar than we want to um, give humanity credit for. And I think part of this is because of kind of personal narrative. And I think I was telling someone when I was in this, um, this village in Korea, you know, I think the more exciting, maybe compelling narrative would be to say like, wow, I'm in Korea. It's totally different. The people are completely like totally transformed from what I've ever seen before. And like, you know, nothing's the same. Like that just feels more snazzy, like sexy, mm -hmm. something that you would be captivated by. But really what I found is like, yeah, people dress a tiny bit differently. The food's different. They use different spices. Obviously, it's a different language. But when you look at the core of what people want, um, it seems pretty similar. And I think, um, anyway, it's just, it's cool to be able to have these observations in person. And I think um, just putting yourself in that position physically <laughs> and taking yourself out of your comfort zone physically is something that will be individually transformative for anyone and, and it kind of tailors itself to what you need most but um i don't know if that answers your question that was a bit long-winded but certainly would recommend it to anyone yeah yeah and i think it does too because i think you know from for me what i understand and you pointed that out and to be fair i don't think i thought about this when i was in college and and had the desire to study abroad but i think mm -hmm. a lot of us may forget the element of what it's like being in another culture and mm -hmm. being the outsider, right? Because yeah. um, I think I, you know, forget it many times when I'm over here in California or just in the U.S. in general, like, you know, speaking to people, whether they have broken English, like I forget mm -hmm. the difficulty that that may be for them because I'm sure if I was in for example, a Spanish speaking country yeah. where my Spanish is very mediocre. Mm -hmm. Like I'd have to think twice. And it, yeah. it's kind of funny because I, I, I felt like you brought that up where, you know, you do um, kind of switch shoes. And I mm -hmm. think that's a huge, uh, valuable experience in itself versus, you know, obviously immersing yourself in the culture, different mm -hmm. people, different food, all that, but rather just the fact that you get to see what it's like on the other side. And I think I'm a Definitely. huge advocate for just experiencing what different perspectives are like, you know, regardless of studying abroad or not, just even like in career wise, like sitting mm -hmm. in different positions and trying different things because you do learn so much from it that it, you know, enhances your life in various ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. super true. And I think empathy is one of the most important 
I don't know if it's emotions or experiences mm -hmm. that you can cultivate in the world. And so I definitely mm -hmm. echo everything you just said. Yeah. So let's dive a little bit into your Fulbright scholarship experience. I think that's something very unique because um, you are one of two people that I know personally that <laughs> um, went through that experience. And um, I, I, to be candid, I, I only know very, I guess, surface level information of, you know, the whole experience process and, and what it entails. So I think I'd love if you could share it and kind sure. of uh, give a perspective on it. Yeah, so um, Fulbright was established by Senator Fulbright, um, basically a senator after the World Wars who was looking for, kind of asking himself the question of like, wow, how do we build a better sense of unity and understanding between countries in the world? And he decided that educational and cultural exchange was a good way to go about it. And so basically Fulbright is an initiative funded through um, the US government, the State Department, and often like a corresponding coalition within the country. Um, it's a little bit different per country, but uh, I don't know exactly how many countries in the world they operate in, but quite a few, um, every continent basically. And they have a variety of fellowships that they offer. So there's a, what's called an ETA, an English teaching assistantship that you can do, which is what I did where you're teaching English. Um, they offer also research grants where you can complete some sort of research project that's going to serve the State Department or kind of your countries that would be helpful. Um, and so it's a great way to kind of get plugged into the federal government um, and the world of diplomacy and intercultural affairs or international affairs. Um, but also to travel and get to know a new place um, in a really cool capacity. And so I can only speak on behalf of my personal experience in Korea, but I also have a few friends who have done other fellowships in Malaysia and Morocco and uh, Colombia, let's see, all over the world. And so um, the application process is similar to the college application process where you get letters of recommendation you fill out a form with kind of basic resume items on it, you submit a transcript, and then you submit these two personal essays, one about kind of why you want this specific grant and one that's just a personal essay about yourself. Um, and it's just one page long, so it really is a reflective process. I know for me, I did many, 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 many drafts and had them torn <laughs> apart by many sources. And so um, by the time you get to the end, you really feel like you know yourself pretty well. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so you submit that um, application depending on the country when your deadline is. I think mine was around October, November, and then you find out um, within a few months if you're a semi-finalist and then a few months after that if you're a finalist. So um, I was lucky in both of those to find out good news. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And then you will typically, if you're selected, have some sort of orientation, either pre-departure orientation in the U.S. or a post-departure orientation in your country, um, which in the case of Korea, we had our orientation in Korea. Um, and so they'll basically just try to get you up to speed on basic language, culture, um, tips for teaching, etc. Um, and depending on your country, there may be some sort of a language requirement. For Korea, there wasn't, so I was brand new to Korean. <laughs> um, and so that's something, if someone's interested, you should definitely take a look at is um, what's the language requirement, as well as how many applicants are accepted to each country. So I know um, certain countries are more selective I believe my friend who got accepted to Morocco was one of two or three, whereas Korea is a little bit more robust because there's a big 
um, demand for English teachers there and just a high interest in learning English because it's a part of their education system kind of um, built in. Um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, anyone I think who's interested in potentially a future career in foreign service or just in anything with an international flavor, um, it's definitely worth looking into and a really good opportunity. It also um, positions you well within um, kind of the federal space to have something that um, to show and not just on your resume, but experientially, it's really a neat experience. So I'm really really grateful for the opportunity even though it was cut mm -hmm. short it was um an amazing opportunity I met a lot of really amazing people in the process yeah I think I recall that it was right around the time um I guess from the last time we met each other in person for mm -hmm. lunch slash dinner in LA I yeah. think around then was when you were finishing up your application or or had just finished it because I yeah. think it kept pushing we kept pushing back on when we we're gonna meet up because <laughs> you were still um finishing up and it's funny looking back now like it was your Fulbright you know application oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> wow I yeah I didn't even remember that but I would not be surprised it was definitely pretty <laughs> all-consuming for a couple weeks there <laughs> mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. got you interested in in going through with that like was there other people that you observed mm -hmm. in their experience or um you know because I just think it's a very different I guess path for yeah. I don't want to say for most people but it's just something that you know for me like you are that that friend that I know has done so many different amazing experiences and oh, I nice. think people could you know learn from it and kind of get educated on what different areas you know you could pursue so um i'm curious mm -hmm. you know what was the i guess inspiration piece for you thanks yeah well the biggest thing for me was um as i was gearing up for graduation there was a big part of me that wanted to get abroad again um i'd had a really awesome experience in argentina and then in just personal travels as well um, but especially wanting to get into kind of the humanitarian aid and development space I just had this gnawing feeling and it hasn't totally been alleviated, but I was like, all right, like, you know, farm girl from Pennsylvania should not be making any sort of impact or decisions in the international development space without actually knowing a little bit about like what the international world is like. And I'm not saying at all that by being a Fulbright scholar, I suddenly am like all wise and knowing <laughs> about, you know, international cultures. And I think that's a lifelong process. Um, but I just really wanted to get more on the ground experience abroad. Um, and that's something I still would love to do, like continue doing throughout my adult life. Um, but so that's what led me to start exploring ways that I could get abroad and ideally explore places that I hadn't been before. So um, when I studied abroad in Argentina, I got a really good um, experience to just travel around South America. So it's not like I know all of South America, but I know like the tip of the iceberg. Um, and the same with Europe. So I was really interested in um, potentially Asia, Africa, the Middle East, just getting to know um, a new part. And so Fulbright was brought to my attention by some professors at Pepperdine, as well as some friends. Um, and then also just being like an international studies major and kind of interested in international relations, um, it had come up as a potential opportunity. And so um, that was part of it, was just wanting to get abroad. And then the second one is I have just always really loved kids. I worked with them all throughout college through Jumpstart. It's an AmeriCorps program where you work in low-income preschools um, in just a couple hours a week, I think like four to eight hours, and um, just loved doing that. And so um, I thought, 
as opposed to going straight into a more like corporate office job, I wanted to do something to make myself a little bit more interesting, um, mm -hmm. to be able to spend a little bit of time with kids and to be able to, again, put myself in this like uniquely uncomfortable situation of being in a new country, again, prior to like setting up a concrete career. And so Fulbright ended up offering the perfect opportunity to kind of check all those boxes while also hopefully offering something that I felt um, I could bring of service, which was like my teaching experience and my kind of love for kids and, you know, joy of working with them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I just, yeah, I'm always just so amazed to hear your background and, and your <laughs> stories. So I think it's just, just fascinating to me. Um, but I've definitely always told you before, I think like, your area of work is very different and something I'm not too knowledgeable in. Um, so I think it'd be awesome if you could share a little bit more in depth about your background in studying international studies and what made you drawn to global affairs, you know, international relations, like, you know, that scope of work, because I think that's definitely, again, I don't want to say it's rare, but it's like definitely something that's just not like a common one that I hear like, oh, this is what, this is the landscape mm -hmm. of what I want to do. Um, so can you share like, you know, your sure. interests and maybe things that you noticed at a younger age as to why that was mm -hmm. maybe interesting to you? Or if you, you know, if you backtrack, you know, as a kid, did you ever see yourself in that kind of scope of work? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a great question and really like meaningful to reflect on. But um, I think for me, it comes in two parts. So there's sort of, I guess, the like charitable element and then the international element. So um, on the charitable element of, of work, and I, I recognize as well, like, I, I don't want to fall into that category of people that are like, you can only do like helpful work that's of service if you're in like development or charity or humanitarian aid. Like I think businesses can be amazingly charitable and um, you know, there are so many different avenues that way. So, but, but anyway, I think, um, it was always very important to me to try to find a career where I felt like I could also be of service. And I think I was always someone who was drawn to helping. And then as I got older and started to become more aware of like the different elements of suffering in the world and more aware of my immense privilege in so many different ways, um, I really felt a sense of responsibility to give back in a way, or at least like leverage the opportunities given to me uh, for good where I could. Um, and I think that's really important to kind of, you know, be reflective about your life and see where you can be of service and kind of make good choices in that way. But then on the international piece, there's actually like a really specific event. So my first time ever out of the country was my freshman year of high school. Um, one of my dad's friend's daughters, who was adopted from Vietnam, had started a nonprofit organization called Britney's Hope that um, establishes orphanages all around the world, mostly geared towards um, kind of at-risk children, or not at-risk, but um, lower, like the children with a lower likelihood of being adopted. So whether older kids or um, kids with different disabilities, um, depending on the region. And so anyway, they were opening a new wing of one of their orphanages in Vietnam, and they were looking for fundraisers and um, people to come along and kind of celebrate this new opening with them. And so my dad asked 15-year-old me if I wanted to come, and I said, that sounds cool, sure. And so um, he and I kind of worked together to send out letters and do different elements of fundraising. We ended up raising a good chunk of money for this project. Um, 
and deciding to go along on the trip. So this would have been January of my freshman year of high school. I left the U.S. for the first time and went to Vietnam. And I was the youngest person um, on the trip. It was a lot of like older donors and they're like midlife um, or older. <laughs> and it was just a really eye-opening experience for me. I loved being in another country. I loved hanging out with the kids at the orphanage. I felt like I could really connect with the people, um, you know, even with the presence of this language barrier. And I was just like captivated. And so really grateful for that experience. Um, and I think that was one of the first things um, for the first experiences in my life where I thought like, wow, maybe I actually could be interested in this. Cause I'd always kind of felt like being interested in international affairs or, um, traveling, et cetera, that you had to have some sort of like special key to unlock this special room that only special people got to go to. But I felt like, wow, now I've traveled and like, um, maybe I'm allowed to be interested in this. So I think after that, I started paying a little bit more attention to current events and, it just sort of broadened my perspective. And again, that's why I think traveling in any capacity is really um, beneficial because it does open your world up. Um, and it makes you recognize that, wow, there is more than just my town or my state or my country. There's this whole world out there that I know so little about. And so um, that kind of whet my appetite. And I think um, by the time I was entering Pepperdine, I was like for sure knew I wanted to study abroad and knew I wanted to learn as much as I could about kind of the international space. And the mm -hmm. good news about that is that there's always more to learn and there's <laughs> no bottom to that pool. So as someone who's kind of naturally inquisitive, it's a good space to be in because, you know, constant learning is the name of the game. <laughs> right. Out of curiosity, um, do you happen to know your Myers-Briggs personality or your Enneagram? <laughs> Ooh, you okay. Do? Well, so I know my Myers-Briggs. I'm an ENFP. Okay. Uh, I feel pretty confident in that. My Enneagram has been kind of up for debate, but according to most tests, and I think what resonates most with me, I'm a two-wing three. Um, okay. But some people are really surprised by that and they say, no, you're definitely a three. So my theory is that I think I'm a two wing three, but like very, very, very heavy wing three, <laughs> almost to the point yeah, where I could they're... be a three wing two. But I'm, what okay. about you? Okay. Um, yeah. So Myers-Briggs, I am an ENTJ. Okay. Yeah. And cool. um, Enneagram, I am an eight wing seven. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. I see that so much. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love personality funny. tests. I feel like I there's know. different camps where some people like resent them deeply, but I love mm -hmm. them. <laughs> I love them too. I think it's very interesting to kind of get to know, you know, some of those traits of other people mm -hmm. and kind of understand where they, I guess, lie on the spectrum. And um, I think it's funny too. I think uh, so many people always thought I was a three and then yeah. I once thought I was a three too. And then I realized the big thing for me is like, I think I'm more of uh, someone that likes to do things like, I don't want to say just my way because that sounds very, I don't know, bratty in a sense, but um, I think in a way where it's like, because eight is challenger. And I just think that for me, I've always wanted to um, explore other options and figure out mm -hmm. what's the best route for me, not yeah. just being told what to do or, or, or chasing success in a sense, but yeah. rather, um, or achievement, but rather just, you know, doing things I guess in a way that fulfills me ironically mm -hmm. to the podcast name, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's so cool. I, I always like no. to just 
um, you know, hear what other people's personalities are. And, and for those who mm-hmm. listen, sometimes they resonate with it as well. And mm-hmm. that can help, you know, maybe give some ideas as to what might work for them if whatever is not working for them right now. <laughs> cool. No, I love that. And I really see that for you. Like both of those make so much sense. Um, I think sometimes eights can get a bad rap and I hate it, but um, <laughs> like some of my favorite people are eights. And I think you specifically are, have just always been very decisive and assertive. And like mm-hmm. you said, like independent, and you're going to decide which path fulfills you and mm-hmm. take it. And I think I really admire that. I also love that our personalities are like complementary and different because I think yeah. that brings such a cool element to our friendship that I've always valued. So I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I definitely want to get a little bit into, I guess, uh, backtracking a little bit into your first few jobs into life. So obviously, sure. you know, um, we discussed how we both worked at Abercrombie, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, just we talked about it previously to how it shaped our philosophy and experience, you know, leading up to today. So mm-hmm. uh, can you share, you know, your first or first couple of jobs leading up sure. to before college, during college, you know, et cetera. Yeah. So, okay. I think I'm going to focus on one. It came up a little bit in our pre-conversation, but something I'm extremely grateful for was growing up in a family uh, with a family owned small business. So um, I won't get too deep into this, but one of the more interesting facts about me is that I am a first generation non-Amish or Mennonite person. So um, my dad was Amish until he was four when my grandparents left the church and my mom was Mennonite until she was 16 when also my grandparents kind of broke away from the church there. Um, So very close (laughs) um, to those two traditions, both of which are pretty conservative and um, you know, just really interesting counterculture lifestyles, especially the Amish, which are pretty well known. But anyway, my dad kind of carried that heritage forward by founding a business called Amish Country Gazebos. And we are the nation's leading provider of custom built pergolas, pavilions, and gazebos. As you can see, I've worked there before. (laughs) So anyway, um, I had the really unique opportunity to grow up um, in this small business that my dad runs with his three brothers. Um, And so I think maybe seven or eight is when I first started going in and putting stamps on envelopes and maybe vacuuming the office a little bit and kind of pretending to be helpful, but just being there, like, you know, um, when I was younger. And then that kind of evolved over the years to where maybe a couple years later, I was managing a lot of Um, The mail that we did, we sent out quite a comprehensive catalog packet and there's like a lettering system and all this stuff. So I was doing that, organizing files to where um, then towards the end of high school, I think is when I first started getting on the phone. And then when I started college, those summers in between, I was actually like pretty engaged in sales and we do our sales primarily by phone. So a lot of phone customer service engagement um, and sales. And so a really interesting opportunity. Um, And yet at times, um, again, being an international studies and Spanish student, I was kind of like, all right, where's the connection between what I'm studying and where I want to go and this job I'm doing? So it was specifically the summer after I had studied abroad in Argentina during my sophomore year that I was most dissatisfied with this job. So I remember I had broached it with my parents um, when I was abroad. I was like, hey, you know, I really want to be in DC in the future. I really see myself in this like humanitarian aid and development space. And I think it's really important that I start getting internships. Like, can I do that this summer? And my parents were like, well, all right 
We love you. We support you. But it's the busy season at the Casiva business and we need you there. And I was kind of like, man, like my future's ruined, but okay, fine. Like, you know, I, whatever. And so um, this is the important part that Emily and I were talking about is um, I feel really lucky because I decided to follow a tenant that's become really important to me, which is that no matter what you're doing or what you find in front of you, it's super important to make the best of it. Show up with your best attitude, work your hardest, like really try to leverage all you can out of the experience and um, don't waste time resenting it or um, dragging your feet. Like that's never going to yield a positive outcome. And if you make the most of what's in front of you, you will naturally accelerate and naturally advance. And so I luckily reprogrammed my mind, came back from Argentina, started this job, and then um, we happened to bring in an old employee who had then become a really successful consultant, and um, he was helping us leverage some of our marketing systems and improve our, our sales funnel. Um, and because I had actually like taken advantage of this opportunity and was engaged, I became one of his main points of contact. And long story short, he was the person who ended up connecting me to my mentor, hero, supervisor, friend at USAID, um, who basically um, we met and she was the one who helped me get this internship and then has really pushed my career along in amazing ways. Um, and if you want to look her up, her name is Alexis Bonnell, and she was the chief innovation officer of USAID up until today when she is leaving the agency to go join Google and is just one of the coolest humans I think in the world or <laughs> one of the coolest humans I know. Um, but anyway, the whole way that I met her was through working at this little gazebo business. So a uh, long-winded way to say I think it's really important to take advantage of anything that's in front of you and not to allow like a lack of inherent passion to keep you from really applying yourself because it'll open doors if you are showing up as your best self and really um, engaging in whatever work you have in front of you, whether that be Abercrombie and Fitch sales or <laughs> selling gazebos. <laughs> I really like that mentality. And I think for me, just out of curiosity too, how do you personally deal with, you know, those, those days, you know, in, in a job where you don't mm -hmm. have that much passion for and it's kind of mm -hmm. like a day-by-day -day job and I'm sure there are many people listening who are experiencing that right now especially during this pandemic um yeah just of you know going day by day not really feeling that fulfilled and you know kind of 50 50 like how do you personally deal with it whether it's stress or whether it's like that pit feeling of wanting to move on to something else mm. like how do you go about with managing it mentally yeah yeah, that's a great question and something I'm constantly asking myself and others because you can always improve. But um, I think a good starting point is asking yourself the question of what fulfills you, what motivates you, like really trying to pare down, like, when do you feel you're most alive and most on fire? And then try to step back a couple steps and think, okay, what gets you there? And so um, I know personally for me, like amazing conversations sources of inspiration, whether it be like quick quotes or books or poetry or philosophy. I know you read the Daily Stoic and that's, you know, I love um, Stoic philosophy a little bit too, um, but also just certain authors that really inspire me. So there's that, um, you know, exercise, uh, again, connecting with people that really like light your soul on fire. And so I think trying to strategically integrate things that will make you feel more alive is a good way to go. 
Um, another kind of sage piece of advice I like, um, I took ballet for like a year. I was not very good, but my instructor would always say, so she was really strict about us wearing our like official costume to practice. And I remember one time someone asked, they were like, why do we have to do this? Why can't I just wear gym shorts? And she was like, well, if you dress like a dancer, you'll dance like a dancer. Mm. And so I apply that sometimes just on a really superficial level. Like if I really find myself dragging my feet, especially during this stay at home time, I'll be like, all right, what is the person I want to be? Okay. Professional put together, whatever. And then I'll just be like, Hey, we're doing our makeup today or doing our hair, like dress that way. Um, and I think like the psychological implications of looking and feeling put together are sometimes grander than we think. Um, so that's another thing. Um, but I think overall, I get my motivation again from just having a clear picture in my mind of the person I want to be and mm -hmm. kind of meditating on those different elements of character traits I want to embody, um, goals I want to hit, places I want to be, whether physical, emotional, psychological. Um, I really think, and there are so many books that say this better than I am, whether it be like Think and Grow Rich or Blanking, but there are a lot of books that talk about this power of kind of ideating or meditating on um, on your goals and, and the ideal life that you want to cultivate. And I think we have a lot more power than we think to create the life that we want. Mm. Um, and I, I'm just starting, I think, to reap the dividends of, of doing that over a long time. So I have a little more confidence, even though I'm very young and I know we still have so much to learn. I really think um, if you're committed and willing to put in the work and you also have a really clear vision, that's a good recipe for getting where you want to go. Mm, I love everything you said there. And I could not <laughs> agree more with, you know, just the fact that we really do have more power in creating a ideal life for ourselves than we think. Um, mm. And I think that's something that you and I probably have done really well over the past few years is just really having the conviction to go after what it is that we want, you know, mm -hmm. in life in that long term um, vision, which I know we always kind of every time we meet up, we always chat about like, how's life? Like, yeah. what's next? And I think it's just kind of beautiful to see after the five years we've known each other, how much has progressed for both of us. That's and so you know what I mean? It's just very yeah. interesting to reflect. And obviously, like, again, we both started in this Abercrombie store in, in the <laughs> capital, Amish capital of America. And, yes. you know, we were, you know, this is where we're at now, like just chatting on like my podcasting, I would have never mm -hmm. thought five years ago when we met, like I would have been like, yeah, five years later, I'm going to have you on my podcast. Like that's awesome. <laughs> you know I mean? Yes. And yet it doesn't surprise me at all. Cause I'll never forget. Yeah. When we were chatting and you're telling me about this business that you started in high school and I'm like, <laughs> oh, this girl's going to go places. So oh my gosh. Yeah. But you're right. It is so rewarding. Cause I mean, when you're living your own life, I think it's hard to sometimes see the transformation and the change or the growth because it's like you're with you every day. But that's why I really love and value friendships like this where we can come apart and come back together um, because we have these like quantum leaps in between yes. knowing like spending time together. 
And I think that's really rewarding are these times where you can really reflect on these milestones in your life and you can look back and be like, oh my gosh, yeah, like we have gotten a lot done over five years. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so good. Um, Speaking of kind of five years, I did want to ask, where do you see yourself in five years? not another pandemic no <laughs> um I saw I think this quote's going around that's like anyone in 2015 who would that's where they would see themselves in five years was wrong oh anyway <laughs> um so I'll preface by saying like I always when I answer this question seriously like chuckle inwardly a little bit because I think it never goes how you plan it but right. that said I still think it's extremely important and valuable to make a plan and have something to work towards and work towards it vigorously, rigorously, rigorously. (laughs) But um, I think to still maintain a kind of a sense of whimsy and humility and knowing that like life will present you with the opportunities that are meant for you. And I think we need to be uh, resilient and flexible and open to that because that's where like the magic is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am very much right now, I think, in a place where five years ago I would have been so happy to be. Um, but the path here has been totally different than I would have imagined. So, Mm -hmm. um, I definitely five years from now, hmm, (laughs) I, I think within that window would like to get some more education. So we were talking earlier, I think right now, most promising option would be to go for an MBA. Um, I just think there are some really interesting intersections between business and, Um, charitable work, humanitarian aid development. Um, And I'm really interested in that nexus of where profitability can also meet philanthropy and um, kind of sustainable development efforts. So I think that's something I'm looking into, but I'm also really enjoying working in the federal space right now. So I could certainly see myself maybe still at USAID, maybe in a different bureau or in a different agency of the government. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I see myself kind of moving into, yeah, further development work, potentially with um, an intersection with the business space. Um, and then for the intangibles, you know, hopefully happy, hopefully mm-hmm. having a balanced life, hopefully physically fit and healthy, God willing. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely with, um, you know, continuing to cultivate these friendships and connections that are really rich and meaningful and hopefully well-traveled. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see yourself married within five years? Oh man. Well, you're really laying it <laughs> just, just, just no, 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 that that's good. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. No, I'm really glad you asked because it's been something. Right? Yeah. So I guess I'll awesome. be 28. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Um, and I think, I'm not sure if this was your experience as well, but um, definitely the town I grew up in, there are, I would say, vastly different norms than maybe more like metropolitan areas. So mm-hmm. every now and then, uh, and like no offense meant by this, but like I'll have a conversation with like an one of my grandparents' friends or something. And when I mention that I'm not like in a serious relationship, I'll just get this look of concern <laughs> and I have to remind them that like, I'm okay. I Maybe yeah. there's, there's still time and stuff. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, in five years, I would give it a strong maybe. Um, yeah. But that is something, I mean, I'd love to have kids. That's something I've wanted since I was younger and I, um, you know, want to prioritize. So 
I would say mm, for if we're flipping a coin, yes, but yeah. who knows? We'll see. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what about you? We got to turn that one around. Yes. Yeah. I actually kind of think this question is fun. Um, yeah. Personally, you know, <laughs> I'd say um, I don't see myself married within five years. Mm-hmm. I think um, kind of part of like that Enneagram personality, the eight, yeah. I think I, I am very not just set in my own ways, but very set on like like an ideal vision, right? Of like where I'm at. And I think, um, do I see myself in a serious relationship in like, at some point in that five years? Like most definitely. Do I see mm. myself getting married though? Like, no. Yeah. I think just because I think my preference is a little bit, um, you know, there's no rush. And I, I look at kind of people, for example, not even the first one that comes to mind, it's even like the Kardashians. Not that I mm-hmm. aspire to be that. <laughs> point out even for them um they are now having a very for the most part for most of them have a happy family and they all kind of got married at least one of their final marriages were in their 30s (laughs) and um you know and they're having kids now and I think like for me I've always kind of seen for me personally having that family um orient um, mixed in with my career more so in Mm -hmm. my early Mm thirties and kind of maximizing my twenties, um, to an extent, you know, not in the partying ways, but just like, you know, just (laughs) just living the twenties. Right. I mean, I think like we do have, um, all our life to have a family and have kids and and everything like that. And I definitely value it as well. I think, Mm -hmm. um, I've always felt like I'd be a little bit more mix of, making sure I feel personally, um, like, you know, just connected with myself in my twenties before, you know, obviously connecting with a partner. And then obviously as well, just ensuring that I feel good about my career that when I do have kids, I can step away from it in a sense where it's not going to affect, um, you know, my ability to stay sustainable and, and provide mm-hmm. for kids. So yeah. I think that's kind of where I see it. But it's, it's, it's honestly a question I ask like my friends all the time, like, how old do you think you'll be when you're going to be married? Yeah. And all that, stuff. <laughs> that is a fun one. Yeah, yeah. man. We'll report back. I'm I like, man, now I'm on the record saying this now. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. If you could give one piece of advice for anyone in college right now, what would it be? So my advice to anyone in college first would be hang in there. I am rooting for you. And I'm sorry, because I think right now would be a really stressful time to be in college. I'm honestly glad to to be graduated. But that said, uh, my biggest piece of advice would be to take advantage of everything in front of you and to just um, move about your college career with a deep sense of gratitude and an awareness for the privilege it is to be a student in the world right now. Um, And just to take advantage again of every opportunity, um, recognize what a gift it is to have professors and textbooks and the internet and all of the opportunities that live on college campuses. Um, And then also to try to think about them in a mature way and in a forward-facing way. And so think about Um, you know, what kind of a life you want to live and then seek out opportunities on your college campus to start working towards that, whether that be a job, an internship, a student organization, a sorority, a volunteer opportunity. There's just so much opportunity on college campuses. And I think because it's become such a norm in America and in 
kind of more affluent culture, sometimes it can just seem as like a rite of passage of growing up, but really it is such an opportunity and a gift and a privilege. And I would say just, um, you know, without putting too much pressure on yourself, try to leverage that as much as you can and really get the most out of those three or four years that you're, uh, or maybe five, you know, <laughs> that you're on your college campus. So I love that. Yeah. Is there anything, if you, if you could go back, um, is there anything you would change or do differently or wish you had done while you were in college? Mm, let's see. Um, that's hard. I really loved my college career at a good time. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so there was always a part of me that was curious if I missed out and not um, rushing a sorority. I remember we talked about that. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, I did so many other things that I think it worked out. Um, there was, there's one specific course at Pepperdine, um, kind of a series of courses called Great Books, where you go through a lot of like classic novels and you read and you write a ton. And I think I, I do wish in retrospect I'd done that, but I'm kind of doing it a little bit on the side by myself now. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, a good thing. But I think, um, that's something in college you can sort of forget about like the joy of reading recreationally. That's such a nerdy thing to say, but like, um, I do wish that I'd maybe carved out a little more time for that during college. I was just always like so stressed with homework and textbooks and all that, that I, I sometimes neglected the more inspirational or enjoyable, uh, books, but you know, mm -hmm. again, a forgivable task, but okay. Actually, now that I'm just thinking out loud, the biggest regret I have and the one that I think um, is most applicable to probably your audience is uh, not prioritizing the important things earlier in my college career and not recognizing the importance of those kind of softer skills and more intangible elements of life that I believe are actually fundamental. Um, so there's a book I read recently called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson, I think. Pretty popular. The basic premise is just like um, by making tiny marginal decisions in every area of your life that are tilted towards success rather than laziness or failure, you transform your life. And I super agree mm -hmm. with that. And something he talks about often is like exercise, eating habits, like these very fundamental basic elements of life that I think get thrown by the wayside all the time in college because it's normalized mm -hmm. to be strung out on coffee, never sleeping, staying in the library all night, which mm -hmm. I was very guilty of, like, mm -hmm. you know, not eating well, partying on the weekend and then being hungover in class. Like all these things are normalized. Um, and maybe you have to have that phase or whatever in college, but I'm just realizing more and more that I think the most valuable asset you can have as a person is the ability to show up, be present, be focused and have like a good positive, motivating, um, empowered, inspiring energy. And you can't do that if you're not feeding your body or exercising mm -hmm. or having your mind in the right place. And so I think I really only started to get that under control. Um, kind of the end of my junior year going into my senior year when it was demanded of me because suddenly I had two different jobs and an internship and I was applying for the, you know, and I just had to show up as a better version of me or I wouldn't mm -hmm, get everything mm -hmm. done. Um, I think leadership as well will often pull these things out of you, but um, I would go back to my freshman self and be like, I know you think you're cool, like pulling an all-nighter for this paper, but if you would just manage your time better and actually make mm -hmm. time to go on a run and do yoga and sleep seven hours a night, like yeah. you, you don't have to pull this all-nighter and it's not like this, you know, magical act that suddenly gets you into this esoteric club of like real students. Like it mm -hmm. actually is 
amazing to prioritize like a balanced and healthy lifestyle. So um, yes, that's my biggest uh, regret, but also learning experience. Right. I I like that you pointed that out because I'd say that's something I recognized, um, I guess, somewhat early on in college in a fortunate way. I think it was, uh, this is going to be maybe surprising to you. And I I laugh because it's something that no one would ever think, but I had a terrible GPA my freshman fall quarter. I would never have thought that. It was like, 2.8 2.8 no and, way. and no one would ever guess that because I somehow still graduated magna cum laude with like oh, 3.8 I think so wow. I but it was because of that fall quarter yeah. um that I realized like I'm like what are you doing like I'm I was so embarrassed and I could not share with anyone. I was just like so hurt by myself. I was like, oh, and you just wow. like hurt your own feelings. And yeah. long story short, um, I, I kind of got my life together after that first semester because it got hit really bad. And I was like, mm. oh, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I realized, you know, make sure you're staying fit because I, I went from high school where I was yeah. playing tennis and yeah. skating in the mornings to college where yes, you know, we're, we're out partying, we're mm-hmm. getting the college experience, we're mm-hmm. eating and, you know, like microwaved food, like we're not really uh, nourishing ourselves. So I do agree that I remember picking up that um, habit early on and just kind of incorporating it into my lifestyle as like, mm-hmm. this is why I want to make sure I'm keeping consistent was, I guess, I'd say a, as, as a result led to what I'm doing today. Like it's wow. part of why I do have a podcast or, you know, I do blogging like during college. Like, mm-hmm. It was because I realized like I was in a shithole my freshman yeah, fall quarter wow. and I needed to get out. So um, just a fun, funny fact, I guess. No, that's I think first of all, like go you for owning that on the podcast. I think that's amazing <laughs> and will probably resonate with so many people. And it shows also yeah. like the place you're in where you're like, I'm obviously a badass and I can easily own this and still own the fact that I'm awesome right now. Mm -hmm, And and back mm -hmm. then as well, but you know, um, and then the second thing I just think (laughs) is so resonant, that idea of like hurting yourself with your actions. I absolutely Mm -hmm. think the most devastating feeling in the world is like when you disappoint yourself or when you have certain standards, but you're not meeting like other people, whatever they can do, but like, it's when you disappoint you that it's like, Mm -hmm. for me personally, the hardest. So I think that's so amazing that you were able to overcome that like adversity riddled point in your life and make <laughs> such a 180 pivot to where you are now. That's super cool. Very inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess one last question, something I ask every guest on okay. this show, and that is what fulfills you in life? Hmm. Should have come prepared for this one. That's an awesome question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think The number one thing that fulfills me in life is a sense of connection. And so that could be interpersonal connections. I super thrive off of, um, you know, both deep friendships and new connections to other people. Um, I think making connections in a professional way, specifically when you can see where um, kind of the goals and the vision of one company or organization intersect with another and they can have partnerships and support each other and making that kind of um, transformative change in the world is amazing. Um, Spiritual connection, connection to like a broader life vision, I think is um, needed and something that for me, when I'm not connected in that way, and when I don't feel like I'm like, you know, on a path that is 
inherently fulfilling and kind of reflecting within and praying or like being, you know, connected to a a broader vision, then, um, you know, that's something that feels like a void. And I like to be connected to the world um, by, you know, being in touch with current events and then also in touch with people all over the world. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think um, a feeling of connectedness and then purpose as well, like, you know, feeling like I can show up each day and do actions that are meaningful. That brings a lot of fulfillment to me as well. Mm -hmm. I love that. Wow. We have very similar, um, I guess, things that fulfill us. So I've I've always kind of noticed that as well, but I think it's just kind of, it's fun to hear us discuss it in the open and kind Mm -hmm. of share, you know, out loud, like, you know, what really fulfills us. (laughs) Awesome. Wow. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, And if anyone wants to connect with you, because you're obviously so well-rounded and have so much insight on and so many areas of life, where can people connect with you? What's the best place? Um, Let's see. I think I will give you my email that seems very like stoic and old of me <laughs> but oh well um so my email is just um byler.brie at gmail.com so b-e-i-l-e-r dot b-r-i at gmail.com um you can also follow my instagram it's not as cool as emily's and i'm not quite <laughs> as responsive on there so email's probably best but um my instagram i'm checking now is just brie byler so b-r-i-b-e-i-l-e-r and feel free to find me <laughs> <laughs> amazing and i'll sweet. definitely include it in the show notes for anyone that does have more questions for you okay well thank you so much emily you are one of my favorite people and this was a treat And that was today's episode with my dear friend, Brie Byler. There was just so much that I really felt inclined to ask her about and just hope you guys had some sort of takeaway from this conversation with Brie. Again, she mentioned as well, you can email her. I included it in the show notes as well. If you are interested in reaching out to her with any questions, honestly, I'd say she's really good to ask about college and you know preparing for post-grad and just the various fields that we can pursue outside of what I would personally say is kind of mainstream nowadays of like entrepreneurship social media um, marketing that kind of thing I know I have my own niche in that but that's why I love bringing people on who have a little niche of their own and are also my close friends so I hope this was inspiring to some of you of one way or another Um, and again reach out to her if you guys have any questions if you've been loving this podcast I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts and or just send us a DM on the Instagram podcast so you can find it at what fulfills you pod or just DM me personally at Emily E. Duong. One more thing before you guys leave, be sure to check out the career ebook guide. It's on my blog at emilyelizabeth.blog. If you have any questions about it, again, feel free to email me as well. And that is all I have for you guys today. Thanks again so much and chat with you guys next week. Bye. Bye.